You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, people try to put him down. <laughs> it's Mr. Jeff Clash. <laughs> Even though I get around. Hope I die before I wait a minute. Let me take that back. Somebody's gonna hear you. Don't say right, it. Right, right. I've already been there. Don't want to do it again. At least until it's <laughs> the end for real. I can only make give you so many drawings. Right? All right. Yeah. So, hey, guess what I got to do this week? Uh, he tried on jaunty hats. That is an excellent guess. Right? But do not, I know you or do I know case. you? Oh. No. You rode, so, wait, anyway, I, know what, I know what it is. You rode a unicycle, but it had two wheels, which makes it special. <laughs> uh, well, my unicycle is red, and I did ride something red for the first time since before the pandemic. Oh. I rode... The T, the oh. Boston subway system, <laughs> yeah, for the first time since 2019. Ah, uh, Boston Transit, the yep. MBTA, MBTA, and let me tell you, the crazies did not disappoint. <laughs> I love riding the trains in Boston. Oh, uh, so for those of uh, our listeners that are not from the Boston, New England area, the T system is the subway system in Boston. And there are color-coded, uh, you know, just like in New York, they mm-hmm. have letters. Yeah, color-coded letter, lines. Letter, yeah. Lettered trains. Ours are color-coded. The three more popular ones, or the train ones, are the red line, the orange line, the green line. Yes. Red goes south of Boston into the city. Orange goes from the city north. And then the green line goes east to west. And there's other, like... Silver line, which is actually a bus, right? And there's stuff a, like that. There's around. like the blue line, which is a bus too. I think yeah. the silver the line pump. is supposed to be like the airport. That's like the instead yes. of putting a line to the airport, there's a lot of confusion about how it all works if you're not from here, right? And then the purple line goes out to Salem. So anyway, for me to get into Boston this particular time, I took the red line to South Station and then jumped on the silver line, and I was going to Boston Comic Con, right? So after we got off of the red line and then to the silver line, somebody asked me where to go. And I said, I don't know. I'm just following Spider-Man. Because I, I figured he was going the same place I was going. At least I hope so, you know? <laughs> that story is even funnier for me because I know that you were going to be dressed as, not at the time, but you were going to dress as Craven the Hunter, who would have been yes. following Spider-Man. Had you been in costume, right. which I think is in tr- profoundly funny. If I was wearing the cosplay at the time, it would have been hilarious. Yes, I follow the spider. So uh, on the way out, it really wasn't all that exciting. On the way back, however, things took a turn for the crazy. <laughs> 
So there was this group of girls, uh, young girls, I'd say, I'd say early 20s, maybe late teens, somewhere in there, right? Yep. I'm standing up because there was no place to sit yet. Right. And they're sitting two by two across from each other. So then uh, some people get off, some people get on, people shuffle around. So the two girls got up and sat with the with their friends. So they're all sitting in a row. Mm-hmm. I went and sat down where the two girls were sitting. So now I'm sitting across with a group of girls. Right. This other woman who was of indeterminate age, she could have been anywhere between 25 and 65. Who knows? Right. And she is wearing a loose fitting, I don't want to say tank top, but like sleeveless t-shirt. Yeah. And no bra because you could see like, I don't want to even call it a side boob because it was like some serious sag baggy. The twin, the twin peaks of Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, no, more <laughs> like two water balloons that have been hanging around for a while. Oh, just yeah, and like she just looked like trailer trash. She looked like an extra in a trailer trash movie. <laughs> oh, but she gets up from where she was sitting, which was fine, and comes over and sits directly next to me with a box of pizza and she's eating a slice of pizza and i just like put my head like straight up like attention and i'm looking at the girl sitting across from me and we're having this like silent conversation (laughs) with our eyes like what is going on right right so then we get to the next stop the crazy woman gets up and leaves and the air just kind of just all (sighs) as she leaves you know everybody just kind of sighs and then she gets back on and everybody you know sits up straight in attention again she just was throwing away her pizza box and she sits down again directly next to me with all sorts of seats available why she was next to me i don't know (laughs) now in walks a man with his bicycle yes and a freshly lit cigarette nice some guy further down the train is one of my favorite type of people. The ones that just mouth off to everybody, <laughs> but in such a, like, like an I don't give a shit kind of way. Yes. The guy was like, yep, you're just going to walk right on it with that cigarette, huh? Okay. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, they haven't changed much. Um Oh, oh, for some reason you think I'm done. No. So oh, well, I did think there was a pause there, so. <laughs> Yeah, so he he gets out like to the end of the train, and then there's this other guy, and they start talking to each other so loud that everybody thinks there's a fight about to happen. Right. That's how loud they're talking. But it wasn't aggressive. They're just talking super, super loud. And then my favorite person on the train goes... Hey, can you uh, can you speak up a little bit? We can't quite make out what you're saying down here. So... Crazy woman gets off, and one of the loud guys gets off, but the guy with the cigarette is still there, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, the end, like the last three or four stops on the red line, they have to go slow because they've had some uh, train problems, right. derailment problems, right? So they have to go slow for like the last three things. One of the girls just like loudly proclaims, What fucking stop are we at already? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I thoroughly enjoyed my ride. I love the crazies. Awesome. I'll have to uh, go down and ride more. I've been a few times this year. 
Well, I usually take the bus down from New Hampshire to South Station, and then I ride the T all day. The red line never disappoints. No, never. It, it really <laughs> doesn't. And I, I take it from South Station to Government Center, and then usually hop the Green Line, which has its own personality. In that one, it's like everybody's on the train alone. No one looks at each other. Yeah. No one talks. They ought to stare ahead like somebody put them in there as toys. It's like cows going off to slaughter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wait. We know how to wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this my stop yet? It is my stop. Now I will stand up and walk off the train. It's very, yeah. very mechanical. I think it's because it's, that's that goes by all the colleges and the college kids are like, I'm in the city for the first time and I'm going to get killed. Yep. But yeah, it's it's super fun to go down just to ride the trains. But, you know, all the other stuff that's down there is a lot of fun too. A $5 all-you-can-eat buffet of crazy. It's yes, awesome. It's lots of fun. If you want to have real fun, go drive around in the orange line. That one can be Oh, the orange line is like the red line, except everybody's mean. <laughs> mean and drunk is my, my, yeah. in my memory exactly. of that line. There, there would be no hesitation. That would have been a fight. Yeah, between those two guys, oh, yeah. no doubt in my mind. Yeah, somebody would have been brained with a, a black velvet whiskey bottle, <laughs> half empty. All right, so this is going to be the week beginning October the 9th, but before we get the show started, I do have the very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Hey. In the original Pac-Man video game, the, the 25 cent there, the quarter muncher from 1980, yes. there were four ghosts that chased you around. What were their names? Oh, uh, well, I guess I'll wait till the end of the show and I'll tell you. All right. But this is the week beginning October the 9th and it is your turn to start. All right. We're going to start this week off on October 9th with a celebrity birthday. Ooh, who born, do we have? Born in 1958, Al Jurgensen, who was actually born in Cuba, born in Havana, Cuba, is unleashed upon the world. I know, Bill, you know who Al Jurgensen is, but some of our listeners may not he is the founder of ministry the band yep uh, popular for the the albums like the land of rape and honey and in case you didn't feel like showing up and a ton of others he also helped create and produce the industrial music boom of the 1990s through his label yeah. wax tracks records yeah, I was about to say I'll, everybody seems to credit the industrial revolution of music to Trent Reznor, but Al Jurgensen should get way more credit. I, I think maybe Trent Reznor was just better looking <laughs> than Al Jurgensen, but Al Jurgensen did so much. That guy had like a, a million side projects. Right. He's like Mike Patton. Right. Those two are like having a running contest of who can have more bands. <laughs> well, I know uh, I used to love to play Ministry and the other band that I had of his in my arsenal when I was a DJ was uh, Revco which is what we had to call uh -huh. it on the air. We couldn't call it by its full name, Revolting Cox, because we weren't allowed to by FCC regulations. But they uh -huh. they were fantastic. We also used to play his collaboration with Jello Biafra from Dead Kennedys, or Lard. Lard. Lard, the, uh, the Last Temptation of Reed. Lard has, like I think, three or four albums. Yep. But their second album, The Last Temptation of Reed, is phenomenal. Yeah, cover it's a cover. great one. I think people would know or at least recognize the song Fork Boy, which leads off that album. Mm -hmm. Fantastic record. You know, Jurgensen's production is responsible for a ton of bands that came out, like My Life with a Thrill Kill Cult, who toured with Ministry and then started putting their own records out. He helped right. produce... There was that other one, somewhat controversial name, A Thousand Homo DJs. Right. Well, now as we're talking about this, Bill, 
I'm uh-huh. pretty sure I understand why MTV gravitated towards Trent Reznor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More so than Al Jurgensen at the time. I mean... Yeah. Hey, hey, should we play Buck Satan and the 666 shooters? Let's... Uh, yeah. How about no? How about no? Let's play the live how version about- of Stigmata where he just says, F*** you, at 35 times in a row at the end of the song. Like, no, we can't put that on the air, Alan Hunter. Yeah. How about Surgical Meth Machine? Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, yep. Happy birthday, Al Jurgensen. I'm gonna... You know what? I'm gonna listen... I think I'm gonna listen to Revolting Cox tomorrow and if i can find a thousand homo djs on spotify i'm gonna listen to i've actually never listened to them Mm -hmm. all right moving on to october the 10th october the 10th 1966 the beach boys released their influential single good vibrations oh the best beach boy song if you ask me that's that's your favorite beach boy song that's my favorite well yeah that's my favorite beach boy song it's the best beach boy song too i'm gonna i'm gonna stand on that one uh, I think God Only Knows is their best song. That's it. You're out of the band. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kokomo God, is their best song, Bill. Come on now. Uh, God Only Knows why that would be somebody's favorite song. God Only Knows. Actually, so, that's a good tune, too. But Good Vibrations is a standard setter, I think, with the, oh, the yeah. you know layering 785,000 instruments on top of one another. And it's just like, that's like the quintessential Beach Boy song, you know? If you were playing the Family Feud and you said, name a Beach Boy song. Oh, yeah, some schmuck is going to say Kokomo because reasons. But <laughs> I think the number one answer would ultimately end up being Good Vibrations. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it would be Good Vibrations or Surfing USA. What I like about Good Vibrations is I think that's the first number one song that had a theremin in it. Oh, I have a theremin. I haven't touched it in years. <laughs> 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 I remember on Rock Band, like Rock Band 3, when they started having the ability to do harmonies, Yeah, Good Vibrations was one of the songs that you could play. Yeah. And forget it. Forget doing Beach Boys harmonies. They're insane. Yeah. it's There's too much. I think everybody sings and everybody that Brian Wilson knew was brought on that record too. To sing with him. And he just manipulated it all into the vocal track. Uh, let's jump ahead to October 11th, Bill. October 11th, 1983, the very last hand-cranked telephones in the United States went out of service. There were 440 telephone customers in Bryant Pond, Maine, and they were forced to use direct dial modern telephony after that date. (laughs) So prior to modern technology, telephones would have a crank on the side of it and you would spin it. Yep. And that would generate a little bit of electricity. A light would go off downtown. And then the operator would be like, never please. And then she would make your connection for That's you. That's right. So by 1983, direct dialing became widespread. Actually, wide, so, way before 1993. So, wide, so widespread that it was used everywhere in the world. <laughs> and had been since Ex- like the 1950s. Yeah, except for this little corner of Maine where people just didn't want to adapt new technology i know people i mean be a generation x there's a thing i think it was douglas adams that said it that after 35 any new technology is just strange and crazy to you i'm thankfully not in that category i do try to keep up with technology as much as i financially can yep you know but i have a friend 
that I swear if this was 1983, he would have a crank phone and be bitching <laughs> about the fact that he can't use it anymore. <laughs> or they made him replace just the earpiece with one that wasn't made out of Bakelite. This is the guy I was telling you about. He, like, called me up the other day because he had a hard time burning a CD. <laughs> yes. Like, really, dude? Oh, yeah. let, me get, let me get in my time machine and go back nine years. There's another reason that it may have taken that long for them to change their phone system. And that is because... The, they have paved roads to get to their house? Well, again, I don't know where Bryant Pond, Maine is, but I'm going to guess it's pretty far north. And if that's the yep. case, the funds to change their phone system over to direct dial would have come out of the rural electrification budget. That turned into this humongous boondoggle where the phone company just took the money and was like, yep, we're going to run cables all over the place and we're not going to actually do it. And they didn't actually <laughs> do it. So they couldn't justify the business maybe of putting a central switch in a town of 440 people until 1983 when they were forced to by law. That's my guess. God, somebody down at the essential operation, like, I'm sick of this little light going off just because somebody over in Kitty Bunkport over here needs to make a phone call. Yeah, it's that or like Mary Beth Bear Monster died, and she was the <laughs> the town's, you know, switchboard operator for 55 years. AT&T at the time was like, all right, we'll put in a switch. So moving on to October the 12th, 1992, Brett the Hitman Hart defeats Ric Flair to regain... The WWE title. So that wasn't Bret Hart's first time having the belt. Right. And he actually won it from Ric Flair at a house show. I need a term clarified, Bill. A wrestling term. Oh, 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 oh. suddenly I'm the one with the vocabulary. You're the (laughs) one. Yes, I need a term clarified. What is a house show? A house show is a wrestling show that is not televised. Oh, why would that be a thing? Well, that's the way it used to work with wrestling. Wrestling would come on Saturday mornings, it would be televised, and it would just be like a bunch of famous named wrestlers that you know versus right. Joe Cardoza. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And basically the Saturday morning TV shows were just like long commercials to get people to go see the house shows when they would come around to your area. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the way wrestling used to work back in the uh you know, pre Monday Night Raw era. So, anyway, Bret Hart beats Ric Flair. Now, why this is even significant and why I'm bringing it up, besides the fact that I could talk about wrestling all day long. Right. You know, all throughout the 80s, from like 1983 and all the way until 1990, Hulk Hogan was the breadwinner over at the WWE. Right. And he was the champion for most of the time. There was a couple of other champions here and there, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man Savage, but it was mostly Hogan. Right. While Hogan was on hiatus, they had put the belt on Yokozuna, a big Japanese guy named after the oh, highest rank no, you can get. Not, he's, no. he's as Japanese as you and I. Right. He's actually Samoan. Right. He's a member of the uh, family. Um, basically, every Samoan wrestler in the WWE is related. Okay. So the current champion, Roman Reigns, is in that family. Got it. Anyway, Bret Hart beat Yokozuna. He got the title. He ended up losing the title to back to Yokozuna, who immediately dropped it to Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan had a lot of influence in the uh, in the world of wrestling. Right. And Hulk Hogan was supposed to lose it to Bret Hart, but he didn't want to, quote unquote, do the job. He refused uh. to drop it to Bret Hart because he didn't think Bret Hart was good enough. Right. So a little bit of shuffling goes along and the belt ends up on Ric Flair. 
Right. And Ric Flair is way more professional than Hulk Hogan ever was. And Ric Flair said, yeah, I'll drop the belt to Bret Hart. I'll put him over. I'll make him look good. Right. And that's what he did. He dropped the belt to Bret Hart. And Bret Hart ended up ushering in a brand new generation of superstars for wrestling. Uh-huh. Otherwise, if that didn't happen, we'd still be living in the Hulk Hogan era. I'm still stuck on the house show thing. Because my brain, <laughs> my brain thinks that they just showed up at the house and were like, "Hey, today we're gonna have wrestling here today." I'm like, "Hey, man, I'm making an omelet. You can't just." My living room is like, "Zit," and they start moving furniture around. You either like it or you don't like it, but you better learn to love it because it's the best thing going. Woo! Yes. <laughs> Woo! Run, 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 kids, run! The wrestlers are here. <laughs> I always liked Bret Hart and the whole Hart family, the Hart Foundation. Yep. Uh, they were always super duper entertaining. Even though well, one of their cousins was the British Bulldog, they were the most Canadian people I'd ever seen that weren't holding hockey sticks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the British Bulldog was British Columbia. Uh, <laughs> He's from London, Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't, no, he wasn't a cousin. He was married to Bret Hart's sister. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Moving on to the 13th. What do you got? October 13th, we have another celebrity birthday. Amazing. Yeah. And this is going to test the limits of how we define a celebrity, uh, which is a (laughs) precursor to what we're going to talk about at the worst movie ever. But in 1960, a vocalist named Joey Belladonna is born. And you may not recognize the name Joey Belladonna. I totally do. And I totally did too, which is why I started laughing, because I have not thought about Joey Belladonna as a singer of anything since about 1990, when okay. he was the front man for Anthrax. Yes. Now, this is why I know who Joey Belladonna is, is because of Anthrax. Right. Anthrax and your friends and mine, Metallica, kind of came out at the same time. Yes. And they were very, very similar. A lot of that drop D tuning, a lot of galloping on that E string, right. and all that. But Joey Belladonna, A has a way better voice than James Hetfield. Yeah, yeah! Joey Belladonna sings his ass off. And two, I liked Anthrax way better than Metallica and still do because they were fun. Yeah. Yeah, Fun isn't something that I typically ascribe to Metallica, but I definitely did to Anthrax when I was listening to them. Yeah. So... He didn't stay with Anthrax for super long, though. Uh, no, well, Joey Belladonna went back and forth with some drug problems, and he got tossed from Anthrax for a little while. He was replaced by, I can't think of the dude's name, but he was the lead singer for Armored Saint. Mm-hmm. His name escapes me. Some Somebody will write in and tell me. Yes. I saw Anthrax open up for Misfits with that singer, and he was fine. Joey Belladonna was, you know, as far as I am, concerned is the vocalist for for anthrax yeah he's the front man yeah and you're, you're absolutely right that they and metallica came around at the same time they shared the same audience the same yeah. as they did with with megadeth but they were always the band that was way closer to mtv they were way friendlier and way funnier and yeah had way more reach because of it they had a bigger audience i think because of that so i remember when joey Belladonna first like got tossed from anthrax and he put out a solo album called belladonna which I've heard. <laughs> I've heard that album. I couldn't tell you a thing about it, but I know I've heard it. He played in New Bedford. He played in our hometown. He played at Jokers. Oh. Yeah. To tens of people. <laughs> and just now, I just got an email today that 
he's going to be playing New Bedford again with a Journey tribute band. You go where you're loved. You know, if Joey Belladonna, I, you know what? One, I can see him singing Journey. Yeah. He's got the pipes for he it. He definitely does. Uh, yeah. It's just such a weird thing I because I don't. I can't put them together in the same sentence, you know. But, hey, man, if he's having a fun time doing it, just like the guy from Boston was in a Beatles tribute band, remember? Yeah, yeah I saw them. Yeah. I saw them. Oh, uh, right. Beetlejuice, yeah, yeah. yeah. Him and the Fools. Oh, was it the Fools? Yeah, that was the whole band. It was Brad Delp and the Fools. It was the Fools without <laughs> the singer, but Brad Delp singing. Yeah, I saw them at the Palace Theater here in, in Manchester. That's fantastic. Yep. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next day, October the 14th, 1892, Arthur Conan Doyle publishes The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, a collection of 12 stories originally published serially in the Strand Magazine. So, yeah, your your detective, your famous detective uh, Sherlock Holmes stories were originally published on this day in 1892. Yeah, I kind of grew up reading Sherlock Holmes stories in either my like middle school reader. I'm sure there was one or two in there. And they were always a fixture in the school libraries that I was going to every week when I was in school kid. So I read a whole ton of Sherlock Holmes stuff when I was much younger and always found his storytelling exciting. And I think it's one of the reasons I love short stories so much because his short fiction packs a ton of fun detail, but he's able to make the plot move along really fast. Yeah, I love mystery. I love that as a genre. My, that was yep. my father's favorite genre, too. My problem is, is, one, I don't have the time and I no longer have the eyes to read. So I do a lot of audio books, like at work. Right. Uh, but the problem with mystery stories is I also don't have a great attention span. Right. So I like the short stories, the ones that are an hour or less on yes. the audiobook. But like uh when I was doing the Agatha Christie stories and stuff like that, some of those books were like six, seven, eight, nine hours. Forget it. I would get to the end and they would be like, and the butler did it. I was like, a butler? <laughs> I don't remember a butler. <laughs> there was a butler in this story? Holy mackerel. Why the hell was there a butler? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'd have to go back to the beginning and start over. So, no, I like the, the shorter stories like that. An hour is a good time. Mm-hmm. Even less is even better. Well, I mean, considering the time that Arthur Conan Doyle was writing, the primary entertainment that people had outside of going to the theater to see people, like, in a theater act out a play was they yep. read magazines and newspapers and pamphlets, right? So... The Strand Magazine is a magazine that carried some editorial stuff and some news stuff and also fictionalized stories. I think that's the same magazine that Charles Dickens was selling his short stories to. Or that it serialized like David Copperfield. The magician? No, no. He's not serialized. (laughs) He's just there. (laughs) All right. Let's wrap up the week. All right. October 15th, we are again pushing the boundaries of what makes a celebrity in our celebrity birthdays. Where we go all the way back to 1844. And, you know, uh, Man About Town, Gadfly, a seducer of women, and or a man who found himself being serialized probably in the Strand, Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher who wrote two books that I started to read when I was a teen and never finished because I couldn't understand the damn thing I was reading, Twilight of the Idols and the Antichrist. Friedrich Nietzsche is though everyone's going to know him best for his best one-liner that what does not kill me makes me stronger. You stare into the abyss, and the abyss stares back. 
Oh yeah, uh, battle ye not with. I love that one though. That that's yeah. another one of his great one-liners. Battle ye not with monsters, lest ye become a monster. Right. I'm actually going to put that in my seminar this weekend. Yeah, good. Yeah, and I like the more modern version of it. It's like, do not torment dragons because you are crunchy and taste good with ketchup. Yeah. Uh, f- around and find out is another <laughs> one. Yeah. Yeah, the most recent <laughs> one. It's funny. It's getting shorter and shorter. It's like the difference between the way we used to talk about medical stuff and now it's the opposite. Right. Pretty soon it'll just be ook. That's like Moore's Law. It goes from battle ye not with monsters to fuck around and find out. <laughs> the other piece of writing that he did that was really influential was Man and Superman. The idea of the Ubermensch, the Superman guy, who I uh-huh. do not know that he, if he influenced the creation of Superman, but he influenced some terrible people uh, <laughs> in the years before Superman was born. Oh my God. So. Just now, it's coming to my mind a joke that my friend made years ago, yeah. and now it's making sense, right? So I was talking about a road trip that I had gone on that I had thankfully avoided one particular person mm-hmm. who did not come on the trip with me. He was in another car. He was drinking between Massachusetts and Ohio. He went through a full 30 rack of beer. Oh, my God. Yeah. And like that's like an eleven hour drive, just pounded him down one after another. Eleven hour drive and, and thirteen stops to go to the bathroom. Yeah, he would like power smoke a joint at the rest stops and stuff like that. And he's on antidepressants. <laughs> and here's where the joke. Here's where the joke that my friend made is like doubly funny to me now because I finally understand it. Because she said. And antidepressants, that turns beer into Nietzsche beer. <laughs> but the idea of the Superman. Okay, all yeah. right, all right. I gotcha. Good. Yeah, yes. 13 years later. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> ha! Ha ha. That's rich. I like that. That's a hoot. All right, uh, let's go on to, uh, I have a, a news of the weird story for today, Jeff. Yeah. So, uh, Yep. Yeah. So this is uh, October the 9th, 2020, so just a couple of years ago. Connecticut State Police investigating a December armed robbery outside of the Golden Palace Chinese restaurant in Norwich. This is like the uh, Tex Colorado, the Arizona assassin. <laughs> yes. Uh, so anyway, Arizona arrived at the Corrigan Correctional Center in Monteville. It's all over the place. Anyway, they needed to get a DNA sample from Gregory Blue, who was 38 years old, who first accused the police of planting his DNA at the scene of the robbery before telling them a phlebotomist who took his blood years ago dropped his DNA at the scene by way of airplane. Sir. Uh, Okay. Investigators had found blood at the scene of the robbery on hats, and one of the victims had said that was left by uh, your friend of mine, Gregory Blue, over here. But he was claiming that the phlebotanist had dropped the blood from an airplane. Right. Uh, he, <laughs> carpet bombed the place with his DNA. Yeah, that's how the blood got there. I think Gregory Blue cut himself shaving with Arkham's razor is what happened. <laughs> uh, and how well did this defense work out for uh, Mr. Gregory? Uh, you would not believe that this did not work out at all for our friend. <laughs> really? And he was charged with first-degree robbery and second-degree assault. Hmm. Poor guy. All right. And uh, before we get on to the worst movie ever, we do have our 
Uh, weird holidays for the week. Yes. So October the 9th is Leif Erikson Day. Oh. Viking extraordinaire. Where they, they think that he might have had a settlement up somewhere in like Nova Scotia, they think. And they found some like period houses made out of rock and timbers like on the coastline. But no one's really sure for sure if it was Leif Erikson that was there. I think that we should make it Leif Garrett Day, as you can celebrate by putting your head on my shoulder. <laughs> I think that Leif Garrett Day is a better day because we all know that Leif Garrett was here. We have yes. photos of him in California, among other places. He's been on television. Yep. What better reason to celebrate? You can celebrate by putting a cheap beret to cover up your receding hairline. And by some staggering coincidence, Jeff, October the 14th of this month is also Be Bald and Free Day. You hear me, Leaf Garrett? Take that stupid bandana off. Be bald and you know, free. You know, we you know you're bald. You yeah. Know, you know, you may not know this, but October is also an important season here in New Hampshire because, one, Leaf Garrett used to vacation here in the late 1970s. Did you know that? He would come out to New no. Hampshire in October. He'd go like to Franconia Notch to see the old man on the mountain. He'd go up Lakes area around, around Winnipesaukee and stuff. And then people would come up, the paparazzi would come up and see if they could get pictures of him, like doing all this really boring sort of rustic New Hampshire stuff. And even today, every September and October, people rush up here for leaf peeping season. You are such an <laughs> asshole. What? What a long way around the fence to make a joke. I was just going to say, Leaf Garrett can put his bald ass head on my shoulder anytime he needs to. <laughs> Leaf peepers. Son of a bitch. All right. Here it is time. Let's go down to the uh, the movie house. Me, you, and Leaf Garrett. And we're going to watch... The worst movie ever. All right, Jeff. Uh, this week's worst movie ever. Let's come out of the bad comedy closet here. Are you a fan of Pauly Shore? Uh, yes. I was a fan of his character when he was on MTV, and I enjoyed some of his movies when I saw them. So I guess, yeah, I, I'm a fan of Pauly Shore. I am too. Uh, you know, at its time. You know, I was also a fan of Sam Kinison and yeah, Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, Clay, right. In their time, I don't really spend a lot of time with both either of them now, and I don't really spend a lot of time with Pauly Shore stuff now either. But in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, Pauly was everywhere. He was on MTV at the Totally Pauly show. Yep. He was in Encino Man, which was a you know a funny movie. He was a great character in it too. And then they started pushing him to the moon and giving him all his own movies. Son-in-Law. Son-in-Law is a great movie. It's super funny. I yep. saw them both in the movies, so I saw Biodome in the movies. I saw all of his movies that I saw in the movies. Yeah, out of the yo, those big four movies in the army now, Jury Duty, Biodome. Yeah, I saw them all in the cinema. They're all fine, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're big and if standard. you get right down to it, if you get right down to it, Son-in-Law is the exact same movie as Meet the Parents. Yes, it is. It's the same movie. By the time the millennium rolled around, by the time Y two K happened, Pauly Shore couldn't get himself arrested. Right. His star power was done. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was oversaturation and the other part of it was people were like, all right, MTV's changing. He's sort of tied to the idea of what MTV used to be and that was it. Yeah, and let's call a spade a spade. He's kind of a, a one-trick pony. Yeah. You know, he was the 90s Jerry Lewis. Yep. Only thing he wasn't all that popular in France. <laughs> so, Le Polichot. He is. We do not like him here. He is not funny. 
as a matter of fact, I remember in 2003, my birthday was coming up. And my girlfriend at the time, she was like, what do you want for your birthday? And I saw that Paulie Shore was coming to the Comedy Connection, you know. And he had kind of, that by that time, his career was, I don't want to say over, but his big, the, the, the heyday of his career was done, right? So he was coming to the Comedy Connection. I told my girlfriend that I wanted to go see Paulie Shore. And she just gave me a look. Right. She was like, oh. it's- she's like, okay. She, and she bought me tickets, right? She bought me two tickets. Yep. She goes, you know, you don't have to take me. You can go with anybody. She really <laughs> want to go. It's, she was trying to get out of it, yeah. It's funny how someone, it, can, can someone can go from, like, the level of fame he had to, like, that kind of uncool in such a short time. In 2003, this, the movie came out. I'm going to guess he worked on it for a little while longer. But in 2003, Pauly Shore put out a movie called Pauly Shore is Dead. You'll never wheeze in this town again. His career. They canceled your sitcom. Canceled? Over his house. I can't believe Kara Top lived in my house. Taken. The Weasel. What are you saying? I should just kill myself? Polly, keep it down. I'm trying to get some fleas. Dead. Actor comedian Polly Shore, dead at the age of 29. The news hit the entertainment world like a big tragic hurricane. The kid wasn't wired right. Stay dead. Or is he? So why'd you do it? I know it's you, Polly. Polly Shore is dead. Filled with Hollywood's hottest secrets. Yeah, I tried to sleep me once. Me too. Did you do it? And it was completely self-made. Self-written. He wrote it. He directed it. He filmed it. He edited it. For as far as I know, he did like everything. (laughs) And it's 50-50. It's fun. But it's also hard to watch. I didn't find it hard to watch, and I found it more fun than than I thought I would. Let's get to the premise of the movie, and then we can Great. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll chat. All right. So the, you know, the the movie starts out, and it's a lot of flashback stuff to whenever Paulie Shore was famous and in, in his heyday and all that. And it, you know, it showed us you know clips from his movies and stuff when he was big on MTV and stuff. He says the worst thing that could possibly happen to him happened <laughs> is he got his own sitcom, right. which was called Polly. And you know what? I totally forgot that he had a sitcom. It was uh, one that I don't remember existing. So when Yeah, they- you know why? You know why? Because I've had colds that lasted longer than that <laughs> series did. I think it only had like five or six episodes before right. they yanked it. Yeah, they, they do a good job in the show, in the movie, of, like, talking about how bad the show is and all of his expectations to, like, add to his house and impress his friends and all of these things, and the show just isn't funny. There's a really good point that they make later in the movie about that. Uh-huh. Which is, he's a character. He right. they, they didn't write anything for the character. They just wrote him as boring old Polly Shore, and it's not funny. He's not a funny guy. He's a funny character. <laughs> You know? Yes. Right, right, right. Yeah, you have to, like, separate the weasel, which is the character, from Pauly Shore. Right, right. right. He's, like, pretty depressed. And then he gets visited by the ghost of Sam Kinison. Yes. Which was weird. (laughs) Weird is an understatement, yes. Yeah. So, Sam Kinison was a famous comedian who died very young. He died tragically in a car accident. But he's revered in the comedy world as one of the best comedians of all time. And you 
can almost attribute some of that to the fact that he died young. Right. You know, much like Lenny Bruce. Right. You know, the ghost of Sam Kinison tells Paulie Shore, kill yourself because <laughs> that'll help your career. Right. So Paulie Shore doesn't kill himself, but he fakes his own death. He fakes his own death so that he could, one, he can generate sympathy from the people that know him. Like, he loses, like, there's a whole segment where he loses all of his friends. He loses his manager. He loses his, like, business partner. He loses his mother stops talking to him. He loses his girlfriend. He loses his porn star former girlfriend. He loses the videotape with his porn star former girlfriend on it. Like, he gets to the absolute lowest point in his life where he only has $84. Right. right. He wants people to remember him as, like, the guy that he was and to feel bad that he's gone and to feel regret that they didn't they weren't better to him when he was here. And they don't. And then, yeah, then there's this, like, montage of all these, like, actor friends of his all saying that, you know, what a genius he was and this, right. that, and the other. And then it cuts to Pauly Shore in the movie in disguise, dancing around in a hotel room <laughs> that everybody <laughs> loves him again. Right. You know, that his career is back on track, except for the fact that, well, he's dead. Right. Well, he's not dead. It's, he's, uh, he's faking his death. He's right. faking his death. How do you come back from faking your death? That's, that's what I want to know. And, in the film, it, it happens it, sort of organically. He gets spotted. This is the funniest, weirdest scene in the movie. He gets spotted reading articles about himself in a liquor store. The magazines that he was looking at were funny. They were like National Geographic, but it was like national comedy. So the magazines yeah. were all fakes that were really like well done. And he yep. gets spotted by like a little girl on a scooter who's in a liquor store. <laughs> I didn't get well, that is, at all. It is, Calif- it is California. It must, right? Yeah, that must be it. They have different uh, laws and stuff. You're used to the state-run liquor stores. Right. And, she, yeah, she, so, she tells the clerk, and the clerk calls the cops and tells the cops who go to the motel where he's staying, and ultimately, over a period of the next day or so, he gets found out. Right. And and he gets arrested because, Can't well, I guess it. faking your death is illegal. Well, <laughs> to fake his own death, he had to steal a body from the morgue, which right. is a, a weird plot device. But- Meanwhile, there was this, like, family out in the Midwest. They belonged on the red line. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Uh, Bucky from Kentucky was the character's name. And I, him and his, fam- him and his, his family, story. who all lived in, like, a one-bedroom house and all that. <laughs> there, was a, there was a funny scene. He, was, he yells at his kid. He's like, get to your room. And the kid's like, I'm totally in my room right now. <laughs> I thought that so, the, the Bucky from Kentucky stuff was super funny. So he was like really sad and depressed when he found out that Pauly Shore was dead because he loved Pauly Shore. Like like me in the 90s, Pauly Shore made him laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when he found out that Pauly Shore faked his death, he was going to drive out to California and kill him for real, you know? <laughs> yes. So Pauly Shore is in prison. And Bucky from Kentucky shows up. I don't remember how he got in there. He, he goes, well, okay, I'll tell you. He, he goes to the same liquor store that Pauly Shore got spotted in, and he robs yep. the clerk with an antique gun and gets arrested. That's how he ends up in jail. Oh, all right. So, yeah. So, <laughs> a little contrived, but he ends up in the same prison right next to Pauly Shore because <laughs> that's the way the judicial system works in California. Right. You know, they're in the kitchen area, and then, you know, he's going to kill Polly, and Paul just kind of explains to him like and this is where the movie kind of like almost irritated me where you know Paulie Shore is worth at that point even at this point in 2023 is worth you know seven digits right you know tens of millions of dollars right so it's not like and at the time the movie came out I'm like 
eating ramen noodles over my sink, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's really hard for me to feel bad for him. And he's like, you know, he's explaining to Bucky. He was like, dude, I don't want to be the weasel anymore. I'm going to be 30 soon. Right. I want to act. I want to be an actor. I want to be, you know, I want to act. And, you know, and then he goes through all the characters and stuff. And right. it was kind of a heart heartfelt moment with a Bucky from Kentucky was like, wow, you did that for me, huh? And he's like, it's, it's always been for you. You know, and I thought that was kind of cool. It, it is cool. And like, then, and so to show you how, and I, again, I'm, I've never read the screenplay or anything, but to talk about the quality mm-hmm. of the writing in the structure of the movie, way yep. back when everyone is watching his terrible sitcom, Bucky from Kentucky and his family are watching it too, and they love it. Yep. And they're waiting right. for the next episode. And then, like, there's this throwaway line from Rick Dukeman, who's playing his manager, who's like, now nah, they're going to preempt it with when animals attack. You know, they're not even going to show the next episode next week on Friday. So it cuts right. back to Bucky and his family, and they're like, where's where's Polly Shore? Where's the new Polly Shore episode? Why am I watching When Animals Attack? I could watch that just outside the front door, right? And, that, right. and, then, <laughs> and then when they're together in the kitchen, Polly Shore, like, recognizes him as a fan, and he's like, tell me what movie this is from. And he says a quote. And then Bucky's like, well, that's, that's jury duty. He goes, all right, how about this one? That's that's in the army now. And, he go, and, and he's like, see, I do these things for like, you're the audience for this. You're the people that I should be more interested in impressing than the people that I like live with or live around here in Los Angeles in this weird, rarefied environment. The bigger right. arcing picture of that is no one understood who Polly Shore's audience was when they put the shows together and they never gave it time. Because right. those people are out there. They make fun of them with the whole Bucky from Kentucky thing. But that's like the idea of middle America. And I was totally on board with that as a plot device. So uh, at the end of the movie, it kind of meta. It kind of goes meta where he's going to make a movie called Polly Shore is Dead. And he starts going down a list of all these people that he has blackmail on. And it's all the, <laughs> it's all the people that were in the movie. This movie has got cameos galore. Yeah. Uh, a short list is... Uh, Clint Howard shows up in the movie. Christopher Penn, one of uh, Sean Penn's uh, brother, a ton, one of his tons of brothers. Yeah, Pamela Anderson, Be Real, Todd Bridges. Todd Bridges who has the best lines in the movie. Ja Rule, uh, Britney Spears, Carson Daly, Matt Pinfield, uh, Tom Sizemore, Andy Dick, Dr. Dre, Eminem, Fred Durst, who also had some funny stuff in oh, the movie. Oh yeah, that was super I- funny. Heidi Fleiss, yep. of all people, Tommy Lee, Bill Maher. I mean, the list is, it could have its own uh, Wicked page, just the it, list it, of the people that it, were it, in the movie. Well, yeah. the, the list of people in the movie is a, pretty much the Wikipedia page for the movie, so. Yeah, it's, it's more than half a page, yeah. Uh, the, the list of people that currently Pauly Shore owes money to, to help <laughs> make it. This was the sixth movie that Pauly Shore made that I saw. I mean, he's got other movies, like the Goofy movie, which... I'm sure paid for his house and, uh, you know, a few other things. I guess he did a couple of horror movies and all that. And he's still working. He's still working. I follow him on Instagram and he yep. did a, uh, he just recently did the American overdub for Pinocchio, the true, a true story, right? Which is a Russian film. He does the voice of Pinocchio. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's, I'd be interested in seeing that. Does he do, does he still do stand up or is he just in the entertainment side now? Yeah. Oh wow! No, no, he's he still yeah he still does stand up. He tours. He doesn't really come out all the way east over here. Mm-hmm. 
But you know he plays in Los Angeles and in the Midwest because that's that's where his bread and butter are. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. So I don't know if I would have to give this movie a star rating, like zero to or zero to five stars, as far as mm-hmm. our bad movies go. Or what's the uh, unit of measure we wanted to include in here? Oh, chuds. Ah, the number of chuds. Uh, I think this is a solid two and a half chud movie because out I of, out I, of how many chuds? Out of five chuds. Out of five chuds, you're going to give it two and a half chuds? I'm going to give it two and a half chuds. It's not a five chud quality terrible experience, nor is it a zero chud quality fantastic experience. It was right in the middle. It was just entertaining enough to keep me there. And uh, I probably would have given it three and a half chuds, but there's so many wow. dead people in this movie now that <laughs> that has kept bumming me out. Like Tom Sizemore is dead. Vern Troyer is dead. Uh, right. The woman who played his maid is dead. There's a bunch of them in the cast, and I was like, oh, jeez, oh, that guy, ooh, and- dead. Somehow, somehow Todd Bridges is outliving everybody. Yeah. I'm telling you, that guy's a robot. <laughs> He's um, also I'm the best this, actor in the movie. I, I'm going to give this, well, definitely the most experienced. Uh, I'm going to give this movie, uh, well, I'll say one and a half chuds. Okay. Uh, and I'll, the reason why is because out of the six Pauly Shore movies that I've seen, this is definitely my least favorite. I would rather watch any other movie than this one, even Jury Duty. And it's also hard to watch because I've done video editing. Yeah. And I could see that this was all done and clipped and clipped together. Like there's so many scenes where he's having a conversation and you can tell the two people are not in the same room at the same time. Right. You know? So yeah, yeah, it's a little hard to watch from a you know from a an editing standpoint too. <laughs> from but a, from a visual standpoint, it was this was clearly all shot on digital video, clearly. Yep. And in, like you know, run that thing through a filter so it looks like an actual movie, and I'm on board. That becomes a one chud experience for me. But because it wasn't <laughs> that, I just I had a hard time getting around it. It looked like it was shot on somebody's VHS camcorder. All right, average. Average chud rating on this is 2.5 chuds. 2.5 okay. chuds. All right. So, before we wrap up the show, uh, I do have the answer to my very popular and uh, always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Bill. We're back in time. We've got Pac-Man Fever. Yes. Former uh, worst song ever over here. <laughs> so the uh, There are four ghosts, one red, one pink, one blue, and one orange in the original Pac-Man arcade game. Right. What are their names? So, I played a lot of Pac-Man, even though I didn't like it, because it was in most of the places where there were any video games at all. If there was only one, yep. it was generally Pac-Man. And I yep. remember the loading screen, and I'm pretty sure the ghosts were introduced one at a time, and it was Pinky, because it was a pink one. Blinky, Clyde, because it was a funny named one. And Winky? Ooh, so close. Like, oh, wow, I didn't get it. Yeah, yeah, you're close, but you don't get it. Ah. It was Blinky. Blinky. Pinky. Pinky. Clyde. I got, you got those that three. one. And Inky. Oh, I was off by a W. Yeah. Oh, well, that'll teach me. Yeah. It would make no sense points. if they were squids. Then I would have got the Inky. <laughs> no points for you. No points for me. All right, but that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you guys back here in seven days. All right. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special shout-out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. 
You know, you can find us or message us over at Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Twibbly. That's T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. And don't forget to subscribe. You may just find out your favorite song is the worst song ever.